Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want our listeners to always think that this, that when the show starts, that we're both just standing near like a picket fence and you're like walking by and like, yeah. <laughs> hey, Roar. Hey, I'm Ruth. Like, hey, how you doing? I was like, hey, neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> I got a pot of soup on. You want to come over later? You know, like, oh my God. I, have you ever left the house with like soup going? <laughs> no. Oh, God. I picture you on the walk being like, oh, yeah, I got some stew heating up. I'd be like, what? Where? Are yeah. you, what? <laughs> My house is in flames. I leave all the candles lit when I leave the house. It's just something I do. <laughs> so when I come back, it smells great. I I hate to admit it. I left a candle on the other day. <laughs> okay. The fact that you used the phrase, I left a candle on, that right there lets me know this is not the first time. <laughs> I, I think it's because I'm so... Well, I don't want to make excuses for it. It was totally irresponsible and also like but it happens it's not like you did it's not like you were like oh yeah just leave the candle yeah i wasn't all like i'm gonna leave now i'll leave the candle on <laughs> like i, I won't saying leave the candle leave the on. candle on yeah <laughs> leave the candle lit have you started several fires in the area by leaving <laughs> yeah. a candle on we're taking you away <laughs> i would be terrified the moment i remember that there's a candle going i am i've often been places and thought oh god i've left the oven on And you can survive that and yet still was like, oh, God. Growing up, like my mom is super triple check the house. Like it takes her like close to 30 minutes to leave the house. You can never. She's a normal person. (laughs) No, it is. Drives me insane. I just know that she listens. So I I defend her no matter what. Because now you told me she listened (laughs) to the episode. Well, you know, she's like, see, I told you I like Rari. Um, And so... (laughs) She like has to unplug everything and check this, check that, check the door, check the toilet seats yeah. have to be down so the dog doesn't jump in them. The dog can barely walk. So why would the dog jump in the toilet? I don't know. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I'll leave the house with a candle lit. <laughs> oh my God. But I set that... a reminder so that I also wouldn't forget when I get home. I do this all the time. I set reminders. Uh. Like I wouldn't know when I came in the house that the candle was still lit. And I came in and to my horror, it was still lit and that's the first time i'd ever done that Wait, what did you think it would be it, here's the thing here and and correct me if i'm wrong wouldn't the candle either still be lit and you're like oh you'd be like thank god 
Or wind blew it out and then you're like, so great. Yeah. Or you know the candle was still lit because the house is burnt down. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was pretty nervous to drive up my street. I was like, please, God, no. You've made it this far in COVID. I got home and was like, I need to become an adult. <laughs> like, Folks, we're talking to Chris Gethard today. <laughs> I've known Chris for a super long time. I knew of him from doing improv. Yeah. And then, you know, he got more into storytelling stand-up stuff and I got to know him in that arena and we talk a little bit about that today. But, and if you haven't seen the Chris Gethard show, I highly recommend uh, watching it. We talk a little bit about yes. that as well. His podcast, Ruthie's a huge fan. I am. We I support love it. other podcasts, <laughs> even though it's horrible for business for us, but we still do. Yeah. Beautiful stories from anonymous people from New Jersey. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Chris Gethard. Chris, thanks for coming on. We're sort of one of the cooler podcasts. I mean, we were voted coolest podcast. Yeah. Do you have to start by telling everyone it's cool because it's dad stuff? And well, are you always, I'm always telling myself I'm still cool. I've never told anyone it's cool um, uh-huh. because we hadn't, we weren't nominated. We were only nominated, then we hadn't officially won. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just didn't want to like ruin it if we mm-hmm. said we're one of the coolest and then we end up not mm-hmm. winning that category. Yeah. But I, do, do you feel you're as a comedian and a dad, do you now feel that there's judgment when you, when you make a joke that you know is bad? Because now when you make a dad joke, knowing it's a dad joke, people think you don't know and you're a dad doing a dad joke, but really you're a comic who's very well aware that you're doing a bad dad joke and that the joke is that you're doing the joke. Yes. That's my Regis Philbin. That's my best Regis Philbin. R.I.P. Rest in peace. One of the great entertainers. My mom's favorite entertainer. Truly. Oh, yeah. Um, I do enjoy dad jokes more than I used to. I think I feel the insecurity as a comedian because... I've always, I've never been like a set up punchline guy. I just talk about stuff in my life. So now I'm just talking a lot about dad's stuff. And I moved to the suburbs too. So I edit in lawn maintenance. I open with a lawn maintenance joke now. So I used to be like the underground king of public access guy. And now I'm up here like telling jokes about, you know, how bad I felt when I accidentally tripped my son. And it's what I can feel my audience going like, wait, like... You're like yeah. a lot of my audience are like punk rock kids with pink yeah. hair, and they're like, Is this so? I feel insecure about that. I'm trying to crack the code on how to make that translate. Does that make you feel some sense of like coolness is fading? If you're like, <laughs> oh. I got these cool punk kids, and now here I am mowing the lawn, which I'm not gonna lie, where I'm coming from, I'm wildly jealous of the fact that there's some lawn maintenance. Well, you'll love this. This morning, I spent hours uh, cleaning the gutters. And then my whole life is defined by leaves now. My entire life is defined by leaves. So it was my whole morning right. was taking leaves I'd already raked and putting them in a wheelbarrow and uh, bringing them out to the front. And then I'm sitting here thinking about my HBO special that was literally about me, uh, you know, getting addicted to Adderall and trying to kill myself, like all this exciting stuff. And I'm like, yeah, the people who like me you know, when I used to go on public TV, public access and let kickboxers beat the shit out of me. And yeah. now I'm cleaning gutters in New Jersey. It's uh <laughs> it's a it's a massive change. 
So uh, yeah, well, I'm not ashamed of it. It's more just trying to figure out how do I speak to these people that have supported me for years when they're all like five to 10 years younger than me and they always have been, but I've now yeah. phased out to an era they will not enter. I, it, like talking to talking to 23 year olds when you're 30 is a lot different than talking to a 31 year old when you're 40. I feel like I've made That's that interesting. shift. Mm -hmm. You know, I've made that shift. I think you're on a very natural course to continue to sell tickets and have uh, wild success because you're the 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 first version of of that product you're talking about was like you said getting addicted to uh, drugs and and contemplating suicide and now you've moved to the suburbs to work on your yard which causes a lot of people to still contemplate uh, mm -hmm. suicide so I mm -hmm. think you've just stepped to the next rung in the ladder of what is an activity that motivates depression. And I'm proud yeah. of you for that. Yeah, an, ex <laughs> an, an existential existence where you feel like I, I only exist to <laughs> scoop mulch out of a gutter with my hands right. and pray I don't fall off this ladder. And all my there must be something that feels good about it. Yeah. Though. it there does. must be something where you're like, I yeah. am a man, and I don't mean to sound sexist here, but as a man, I do when I do lawn things. I do feel like I am doing a man thing, specifically because of, you know, if my dad got out and raked leaves, I was like, men, get out there and take care of the yard. It's just something that's like, it's not in our DNA, I don't think. But no. I think society kind of made you go, oh, that's what men do. They take care of the lawn. It yeah. is, there, there's a certain sense Why? of accomplishment when I've gone up on the ladder I climbed up on my roof yesterday to clean out a gutter, like on the actual roof. Doesn't that and I feel good? It felt kind of great to like get back down and be like, <laughs> I didn't so fall and die. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> yeah. That, that was your barometer for success was just oh, oh being able to get back to the ground. Well, I, will t I was up there and it was such an unnatural fit for me to be on a roof that one of my neighbors drove by and screeched <laughs> to a halt and rolled down the window and asked if I needed help. So that's what it looked Chris? like visually. That someone in a passing car yeah. moving pretty fast uh, was yeah. concerned enough that they yeah. expressed it. Yeah. 12-year-olds on bikes were like, Mr. Gathard? <laughs> well, they were <laughs> probably doing what I did when I was 12, which was just waiting for the tragedy so they could laugh. I'm so out of the loop on doing those those things that we're categorizing as quote-unquote manly <laughs> men, men activities that yesterday I put a new screw in a chair that just required That's drilling awesome, though. the screw into a chair. My wife goes, look at you. And it was <laughs> she was right and condescending at the same time. It was complimentary and condescending. Like, look at you're doing something. And also like... Why aren't you capable of doing this around the house? My yep. wife had to talk to me about something truly humiliating on that front where I screwed up my lawn, I mowed it too short, and I got crabgrass, which is this weed that just goes... And within like four days, my entire lawn was overrun. So I became obsessed with fixing it. I researched all these products, like got a whole chart of what day of the year you're supposed to put down, which fertilizers, <laughs> when you're supposed to see, all this stuff. And I found it super gratifying, kind of super zen. And there were a couple areas where I actually like tilled up, like it was just dirt and rocks and I tilled it up and planted grass. <laughs> With an I, ox? Just a front yard in Jersey. Oh, I wish. I w if I could rent an ox, it would be, it would, it would have first of all moved so much quicker. And second of all, I would have felt so much better about it. But I was using a hand tiller. And then my neighbor behind me saw that the grass was growing in all right. And he was like, is there any way you'd like help me figure out mine? And I was so flattered. And then also as like a 
40 year old man to have like, oh, maybe I have a new friend, like to make a friend at 40. I was so excited. And then, so I was giving him all this advice and then I was like, oh, you should do this and that. And then I went over there and I had like a couple hours where I wasn't working and he was, and I just went into his yard and watered down a big dirt, patch of dirt and started tilling his lawn by hand. And my wife came and got me and was like, he just wanted to know like what fertilizer to use. He did not want to look out his window and see you physically tilling. Like, what the fuck are you oh doing? My God. Like, oh my God, I love it. Run around to the neighbor's houses acting like you've... Yep. You know. Do you think oh. he was in the kitchen, looked out, and he was just like, huh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Well, his Remember kids the guy were... from next door? <laughs> She's like, no, I just planted all the herbs. <laughs> yeah. His, kid and his kids and his wife were watching from the window. Yeah. And I was out there like sweating. Debating whether they call the cops. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It was it was bad. But I like, you know, I liked it. It was, felt very satisfying to reshape. The Honey, earth. what did you say to him the other day? I just asked him about fertilizer. I don't know what he's doing. Well, he's <laughs> building a deck. He's yeah. building a deck now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's. <laughs> He's out there like groundskeeper Willie with his shirt off. Yeah. It's going ape shit on our lawn. Does yeah. any of that we we uh um we were saying something there's something very interesting about your your relationship with your own father and that idea of toughness. Mm-hmm. I relate to that, the toughness that you you get bred up, you're like, hey, you're a man, and when this is what it takes to be a man. I wonder if there's any of that inherent in like New house, new neighborhood, a yard to take care of. This is the toughness. This is the style of toughness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that extends beyond even the new house stuff because my my brother and I, more my brother than me, got horrifically bullied. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid, I mean, I was like prepubescent, late bloomer, and I'd fight anybody just because I was like, you know, I saw my brother and then my dad would come back to my house and be like, why didn't you fight back? Dude, here's a transformative thing. My dad would actually hate if I told this story, but- Tell it. Yeah. He hates our show. <laughs> yeah. I, we well, asked. My, my brother got <laughs> bullied by some kid, this kid in the neighborhood who was a real jerk. And my dad came home and he's saying to my brother, like, why don't you fight back? Why don't you hit him back? And my brother goes, I don't know how. And my- my dad goes, I was sitting on our steps. My dad goes, you pick up a rock and you bash in his skull. Oh my God. And I was like seven. Oh, I was watching on the steps and I was like, got it. Got it. Yeah. So I was kind of a fighter as a kid. Got it. So yeah. What, I, what were you guys getting bullied over? I mean, we were just like young nerdy kids whose last name spells the word words get hard. Like it was kind of inescapable, you know? Like we were the first oh kids with glasses. Like my right. brother had brace. And again, I'll reiterate, my last name phonetically spells get hard. Like they're my four, my hairline right. is going, but it's always been, a, I mean, Rory, you've known me for years. I never had a good hairline, you know, like I never, <laughs> so yeah, we just got picked on. And, but yours has been so wildly consistent that I have thought that you have a good one. You yeah. have one that knows what it's doing and it knows its job. I have one that's like, Hey, enjoy us because you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what tomorrow looks like. I'm with you every day. So yeah, the toughness, the the house stuff doesn't make me feel tough. It makes me feel satisfied. What worries me is, you know, we moved to this neighborhood and there's other kids and I do sit here and go, A, if my kid gets bullied, I'm going to be in panic mode and heartbroken. And B, am I going to flip out and start telling him to, you know, behaving like Michael Douglas's character and falling down, you know, because that's kind of... 
how I was. Oh, I love that reference. Yeah. Yeah. What do you tell somebody now? What do you tell your kids now? Like, obviously, just from knowing your work and like and admiring it, you're not going to tell them to pick up a rock and hit the other kid in the face. No. (laughs) Or uh, like, but how do you? you I don't know. That was your first lesson, and you ended up being in a pretty good spot. Yeah, (laughs) that is the first. How do you guys navigate that with like (laughs) teaching your kids about what to do with a bully? Because there's always going to be a bully, and now it's like on mostly online and. You know, I have a friend's kid who's like being tormented on TikTok by other kids. What a sentence oh, you God. just said. And it's like, yeah, what, what isn't that? What does that mean? I mean, I was bullied too, but that was because I had braces and acne and I was like a foot taller than everybody else. Yeah. But all the real stuff. I, all the real things. I can't imagine <laughs> if it was because my savage dance sucked, you know? Like <laughs> oh. Rory, do you think are you gonna teach your kid how to throw a punch? Like, is that a thing we still have to do in 2020? Actually, there's something really great about you asking me this question. Uh-huh. Because when I first started getting into improv in DC and going up and doing like the the Del Close marathon and, and just being around the UCB scene, quickly finding out who you were and other like, you know, notable improvisers at UCB. And and somewhere in there is when I found out that you did uh, jujitsu. It was maybe yeah. through our friend Scott Moran, but that was the first time it kind of got in my mind. Uh, and then comedians like Ben Roy, other other comics who I know to do jujitsu, but hearing about you doing it so long ago <laughs> got me interested in it, and so I started taking it you lessons, uh, classes. I, I've obviously since stopped for you know the pandemic and because i'm weak but <laughs> you were taking them <laughs> I could, up I could until just the blame everything though? on the pandemic i don't want to pretend that i know all about jujitsu i had a friend that that took it as a kid but what separates it from karate jujitsu is like submission holds like jujitsu is basically it looks like high school wrestling except when you get down to the mat you don't stop you start trying to choke each other and break each other's limbs and then there's all these things, and who knows how much of this is just promotional material, but they yeah. say like 80% of fights, if someone tries to grab you on a subway platform or the street, that you're going to hit the ground at some point. So they say it's right. one of the best ones to know because then you're comfortable on the ground when most people aren't. Yeah. Yeah, I've been training it off and on for 14 years, and I'm still a blue belt. Oh, wow. So that tells you how bad I am, Rory. You you understand the context. <laughs> yeah. You are. I and I can't even tell you how bad that makes me. <laughs> you think that makes you bad? I am so far below that. Can I say one more thing on jujitsu that I think you'll like? First of all, I plan on teaching it to my son. My wife has already spoken. We moved to a you know it's a nicer neighborhood than where I grew up, so there will be less bullying, but. My wife has heard me go on rants where I'm like, if any of these rich kids, if if any of these rich kids think they're going to touch my <laughs> yes. son, they're going to like definitely some some rage that I haven't gotten out of there. But yeah, and she's like, you'll yeah. do what till their yard? Yeah. Yes, <laughs> you'll you'll run over and help improve their landscaping. Yeah. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com/network today. 
Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. How did you and your wife meet? So she was in a punk band that I was a very big fan of. And uh, cool. there was a crossover. There were a bunch of punk kids who used to do UCB stuff in like the very early days, which made sense yeah. if you knew UCB back then. Uh, yeah. So she would come see shows. So I was aware of her music. She was aware of my comedy. But she um, eventually, when my TV show was was uh, up and running, she became the band leader when we were on public access. So we really oh, right. got to know yeah. each other through that because oh, cool. there was a bunch of punk kids in the band and the guy who wrote all the songs got a job in Canada. So they needed a singer who knew how to write songs. So yeah. they brought her in and now we're married. Although she has it. Yeah. She claims it's true. We, we did a, sh when my show was at UCB, it was, it was really insane. It, it was, I look back and I'm like, it was insane. Even it's, it's uh, for me, it's always insane. <laughs> and that's coming <laughs> No matter from where you. you have that show. That's I, coming it from gives you. me so much anxiety. Like, how is this going to happen? How is this going to end? How is this going <laughs> to unfold? Well, Literally every step of the way is what is happening? What is going to happen? <laughs> well, I'm glad that's actually hugely flattering. Cause you, first of all, you're one of the great experiments mentors in comedy. And I mean that genuinely. And to hear that my show seems unhinged to you when I've seen videos of you doing stand-up in a moving elevator, like I'm like, right? I believe that was one from years ago. Something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, but I feel like in the, to me, there's such few... I, I appreciate that. Thank you. But to me, like whenever I get in an elevator or, or do something like that, I'm always like, all right, there's only... There's just me and this microphone and there's no moving parts except for me. I love you're, it. You're this... When just seeing so many people like that are just a part of the experience of going here's a show and we ha we have we have this thing but we're gonna see it's to me it's like oh god what if it i'm also the idiot that sits there constantly going but what if it doesn't happen this knowing like well, something will always happen well i also feel like i'm at my best when i'm in the midst of a public failure and it that doesn't mean i like it or seek it i would try really hard with the show to succeed but it, people liked it best when they were watching me just panic on live tv but i have to say i, Roy, I agree I with that I am shocked because it's like you and Reggie Watts and Joe Firestone and a small handful of people who I watch and go, people say that I'm doing risky stuff, but I need to do even riskier stuff because those are like the artists. So I'm shocked to hear that my show would make you nervous because you make me nervous. Your act makes me nervous. Oh, it makes, this is our bond. We make yeah. each other nervous. Yeah. And everyone else. Both, you both <laughs> make me nervous. This is why we can never do jujitsu together. But so we did a, uh, when the Gethard show was at UCB, it was midnight on a Saturday once a month. And we, it was really, it, it was, it was looking back on it. I'm like, it was, it was fucked up. And we did a, a fundraiser for the March of Dimes. <laughs> it, was, it was that era, though. But we raised nine yeah. grand. We raised nine grand for the March of Dimes. So I can, that's the caveat under which I can justify all this. But like, yeah. a comedian ate a hot dog out of another comedian's butt. Like, guy drank his own <laughs> pee on stage. Like, it got, uh, my friend Don waxed his asshole on stage. All of oh this thing God. in the course of one show, like, happening on And you're, so, you look back and you think that was bad? It wasn't, it's like, I, I think it was good and exciting. And like New York was really talking about that show. And it really like, you know, it was, the, it's the reason my career did anything. But I, now I'm 40 and I'm a dad. I look back, I go, who was that person that was even thinking of that stuff? Like, I don't even know. And I wound up, yeah. uh, people paid money. If people put $500 towards it, I would, I would uh, host the show naked. 
And that quickly happened. I didn't think that would happen. It quick, like within the first 10 minutes of the show, I was naked on stage, just covering my, my front side. And my wife, her- That is remarkable. Yeah. Her, and her buddies in the band had invited her and there were no seats. So she was sitting behind the drum kit with the drummer. And I apparently just turned around, made eye contact with her, realized it was the singer from The Unlovables, this band I loved. And I just went- oh, great, it's you, and turned back. And she says that's the first time we ever actually spoke. It was me naked on stage, expressing shame that she was seeing me like that. Oh, Hi, I'm naked. Yeah, I have a big For crush a good on cause. you. Yeah. It was bad. It was, For good reason. It was, it was wild. It was wild. Did your, did your dad know you were doing shows like that? <sighs> my, my parents' relationship. <laughs> or are they open? To, are they open to that stuff? Or they they've talked to me a few times. Honestly, like I think in general they're really supportive. And my dad was really scared when I was twenty, and I was like, "I'm going to go for it. I want to be a comedian. I want to be a comedian." And he was just like, "You need a job with like a four hundred one k and health insurance and like security." But then I think when he realized that I was going to work as hard at my career as he worked at his. I think he took some comfort in that. And now he gets a huge kick out of it. But there's definitely been a couple of times where my my mom more than my dad have, have sat me down and been like, hey, you got to, yeah. this is like reflective of some mental illness going on. You got to cool it, you know? So a little bit, but not much. Mostly yeah. they're just proud that I made it work and I'm psyched that they don't worry about me too much anymore. And it's good probably that during that era of those UCB shows, I, I never saw yours but because I lived out here in Los Angeles, but I would go... Yours were at the New York UCB, mm -hmm. right? But there were shows like that at the LA UCB that were similar. And I think, like, I am so thankful that there were not <laughs> smartphones. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. that era. Oh, my God. You know, like... Oh, that I actually just, that actually made me more nervous than anything Chris was saying he's done on the show. <laughs> yeah. if, if someone filming Because it. I watched very similar <laughs> types of shows happen there uh, <laughs> where yeah. nudity yes. and weird I heard about food. one where someone had sex with a dead chicken on stage. I, I heard about names, I didn't I was I not at that it. one. Yeah, I heard about that and I was like, <laughs> okay, what? Bit much. Bit much. Yeah. I look, I can't get behind that, but I can get <laughs> yeah. by behind the and I think this is what so many people behind the talking chicken about, like, specifically. That, like, or? <laughs> I couldn't do it. Is that it. why I you did it. it? That's why you went from the front. The, that's why I told Chris to not name names. <laughs> I was like, look, Please. it's not the one you. thing we don't talk about on yeah, the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's not you. I have a question about your career, and it sort of comes from the world of like my my own dad, like I I know that my dad like looked at my career and was like, oh okay, yeah, it's it's working. But the, a lot of the stuff that I make jokes about, or a lot of the sketches I do, are like, you know, be, my dad couldn't understand the Eric Andre show to save his life, right. or what I'm doing on there, or anything I've contributed to it. But <laughs> there there is a part of me that wonders it. Uh, for for th th there's a communication to it that I I wonder if it's generational or if it's just personality based. But like even what you're doing not so much in your your stand up because the way that you your storytelling is i feel like your your dad probably can go oh i understand this i relate to this i get this but when you are doing you know maybe improv or sketches but like you know the chris gethard show yeah is that where your dad is like who the fuck are you and where is this coming from and why are you willing to to do it and i wonder if that generation of parent i know i'm asking a big question here 
But I wonder if that generation of parent looks at it and goes, oh, there's something wrong with my child. Or yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, because I'm curious of your dad's interpretation of being like, well, my son's in movies and TV shows, but then he's also a lunatic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely... When we were on cable, he would come once a season, maybe twice a season, usually once a season, and hang out for a taping. And my, my mom never wanted to. I, I, I think she would always say it was too late at night or, you know, she's always been nervous in New York City. I, I think she also didn't want to kind of be around that and, and, and have these feelings that her, her son was doing stuff that actually seemed like it reflected insanity. My dad, yeah. my favorite moment was, <laughs> I think the so reason good. our show managed to survive, even though it was incomprehensible to most of America and had terrible ratings was because we got really good guests. And I mean, like we got Will Ferrell, Paul Rudd, um, all these people. And I remember my dad was asking what guests we had coming up. And one of them was Wanda Sykes. And my dad lost his mind. My mom was like, oh my God, he loves Wanda Sykes. And Wanda <laughs> Sykes is great, but I did not expect my dad to be like yeah. a fanboy. So yeah. he would, yeah. point being, he would come down and and he would hang out and he would enjoy it. And he liked seeing the gears of it turn. My mom definitely uh, was, I think, a little more, I wouldn't say embarrassed, but she's the one who like sends emails, like, like, when I had a thing on HBO, a whole email goes out to all the aunts and uncles. Like, I don't course, think emails yeah. were going out. And she was like, guys, tonight uh, Chris is going to trap himself in a cage. And if he can't escape before the episode's over, 100 pounds of human and hair will naked. fall on him. Also, he'll be... <laughs> that would be yeah. like the, the best holiday letter. Like, I, I, like, you know those holiday letters that families write and send oh out? Oh, my like, God. <laughs> yeah. Rory and Jordan went skiing this winter. And then yeah. it's like, well, and Chris has a show. And yeah. he's locked himself in a cage. Yes. Yeah. Chris has a show. I won't tell you the title or channel or time yeah. it's on, but I'll also, just say he's okay. He's making Google strides. is broken, so don't try. Yeah, and don't, other, yeah. Yeah, Chris got stripped down to a loincloth and covered in fake blood and pushed through a 15-foot vagina yeah. to be reborn he's on fine. TV. He's good. <laughs> yeah. He's fine. He's doing fine. So he yeah, my mom was like more as, concerned. My dad, my dad, I don't know if I would say he was into it. But he liked showing up and he liked seeing the pace of uh, how a TV production works, especially like a live show where you get closer and closer and people are sprinting back and forth and yeah. you're having like these like, you know, the you have to throw out a piece of writing because the guest goes, actually, no, I'm not comfortable doing that. And he likes seeing the writers kind of just like round up in a corner and start pitching new bits. And yeah. he thought it was cool. And I think he, he, I think he also saw that I... I brought a lot of my friends along. Like I, I always insisted, like, no, it will be the showrunner from my public access days. It'll be like yeah. 80% of the crew. So I think he really liked seeing that um, it had this sort of like family vibe and that I was the one yeah. who kind of championed that. So I think he was proud of those sides of it. Though he was never, like I said, like it's, it, it's, it's hard, I think, for a dad to be proud of the actual content of that show. I think you make a good point. There is something, too, about a dad seeing his son be a successful conductor of the chaos. Yeah. There is something to going, oh, my son is like, he's the percussion. He's keeping this thing in time. And it's and, and whether you, you think it's funny or absurd or gross or whatever, it, you still have to sit there and be like, he gets it in. He gets it. They start and he gets it in under the clock. Yeah. <laughs> like, it all, the trains keep moving. And I, I feel, I'm sure there's... 
episodes where he's like, I don't know. But then episodes where he's got to be like, oh, I get it. I get, I yeah. totally connect. I'll tell you, you just made me think of it. When my parents moved out of New Jersey, which was, I think we were already doing the public access show. We hadn't jumped to cable yet. You know, they hired movers, but then there was like one truckload of stuff. My, they moved four hours away. My dad's like, I don't want to hire movers for another day when I can just rent a U-Haul. Can you come help me? And for some reason, I've always liked moving and helping move people. I like it. I like lifting the boxes. I like, I have like actual fond memories of my dad asking me to help, help him get air conditioners out of windows and carry them up to the attic. Like he and I always connected in that way of just like, let's just spend a couple hours doing that. And yeah, we loaded up this truck and- it was like this crazy day. I, I was in the middle of that summer where I was addicted to Adderall. He didn't know that. And I had actually like stayed up with a girl the night before on a date. Like I'm not sitting here like, Ugh, like, and nothing, like we just hung out the whole night. So I hadn't even slept. And then we filled this van. And then before we drove to upstate New York, he was like, let's get dinner. And he took me to the Charlie Brown Steakhouse. If you remember the Charlie Brown Steakhouse, an old I chain. No, I don't. No. Yeah. I don't know if it was just in the Northeast, but it was a chain of, of Applebee's-esque steakhouses. And we were nice. sitting there and we were both really exhausted. So we weren't talking much. And then he just goes, I mean, I still get a little emotional when I think about it. He goes, I want you to know that I'm really jealous of you. And I was oh, like, wow. What? What are you talking about? And he goes, well, I think about my career and then I look at your career and it occurred to me pretty recently that you've never one time done a thing for money. He's like, you've only done things you loved. And he's like, and I really admire that. And I really wish that I had spent a few more years doing that. And as you can imagine, I was just like, wow, like stymied. And then I just said, well, that's yeah. amazing to me because I've always been jealous of you. He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I'm like 33 and I, I've never felt like I have my shit together. And meanwhile, you were 27 years old. You had two kids and a mortgage. My mom got sick. You had to support her. And then I found out at one point that when my parents got married, between the two of them, they had $400 in their bank accounts. Like that's where my parents were at when they started. And then you're 27, yeah. you got two kids. Like I, I think about it now that I have a kid and I'm like, man, if my dad fell down and broke his leg, we would have probably, like my brother and I probably would have been sent to live with separate relatives until they could have figured stuff out. Like, I, I don't know right. where we would have been living all together in like my grandparents' basement or something. I don't know. So when yeah. he told me he was jealous of my career and I had the opportunity to tell him how impressed I was by him, uh, that's actually probably one of the more meaningful conversations I've ever had in my life, let alone with my dad. That's so honest. Yeah. It's such an I honest mean, thing. You don't, I don't hear often of parents who will actually admit something so honest like that. And I you know? Yeah. And very it's out of so character. beautifully vulnerable. Which is not my dad's style. My dad was born mm -hmm. in 1953. Like he acts uh -huh. like it. He's a <laughs> right. stoic dude. Yeah. I think yeah. if you ask anyone who ever met him to describe him, like if you, if you said you have to come up with a hundred adjectives to describe this man, <laughs> emotional would be the last, would be the 100th one on everybody's yeah. list. Yeah. If it even made the top 100 things people would say. I yeah. don't know that yeah. emotional or uh, emotionally vulnerable would be on many people's lists. So 
Right. Yeah. What did your dad do for his career? What was his work? My dad, he worked his way up in the pharmaceutical industry, which is pretty big mm -hmm. in New Jersey. And okay. uh, I remember when he started out, when I was a kid, he worked at this place called Graver. He wore a blue work shirt. He'd come home. He stunk like fish. We always used to make fun of him. And then by the end of his career, he was like, they would fly him around the world to make sure that these like industrial plants for like these billion dollar companies were up to FDA code with all these international laws and stuff. So like he really, wow. I was really impressed by him, you know, really impressed by him. And I, I almost dropped out of college and, and I, I think of the idea of stepping back into class. I still have night, nightmares about being back in high school, being back in college. My dad, got his PhD maybe two years before he retired. Like he was never going to use it towards his career getting hired. He just, he just likes working hard and he likes science and he likes yeah. knowledge and all these things that I am the opposite of him in so many ways. So he, I think you like knowledge. I, I like knowledge. You, you I don't, should hang out with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that you can fully see how much you like knowledge. I think I'm a pretty smart guy and I like facts and I like minutia, but like I don't need yeah. to be in a classroom breaking down formulas ever, ever, ever. Yeah. Like I don't no, need never, that. Yeah. Never ever. again. Yeah. You know, you you made me think about something when you talked about that with your dad and how that's such a, a great moment to have. I, I remember the first time I performed in front of my dad, I had a lot of sex jokes uh -huh. and a lot of stuff that was like going to be questionable to say in front of him because he hadn't really didn't know that I, you know, you, he didn't really know that I talked about those things or joked about those things, but those were the jokes. And I remember before the show, I just said like, you know, just, I, this is going to, be R-rated. I just want you to trust me. It's working, and this is what yeah. people are into. And I, people have asked me throughout my career if I change any of my act when I'm performing in front of family. And I, I've always felt like I've always said no, and it's always been because I feel like that space is kind of the only space I know of where I can show them who I really am. Like, this is where yes. I, this is actually how my brain yeah. functions. Yes. And this is actually stuff I think is funny. But if I said or did these things off stage, I would be labeled a lunatic and no one would give me the, that. I have to store this away for off the microphone. I would, I'm largely silent at family gatherings. When I became a comedian, my family was shocked because a lot of people in my family are very funny. And, and when I'm the one who went for it, they were like, but I'm like, yeah, just exactly like you said. I'm like, if I said these things out loud, you all would be very concerned. <laughs> so I'm just silent, largely. Dude, I have this. Yeah. Here's your nightmare. Here's your nightmare. I think a lot of comedians <laughs> nightmare. So I was doing a show for a while back at the UCB days where I prepared about 25 different stories. And the whole yeah. bit was people could just draw an index card from a box, pick the name of a story, and I launch into it. And we do three stories a night. So encourages yeah. people to come back, like a big challenge for me to memorize all this shit. And each story had a, a black outline. And what we do is we'd hit the black outline. And then the interstitial between the stories was I went and filmed my mom and I'd give her the bullet points of the story. So it would cut to my mom going like, I wish you wouldn't tell me about that, you know? And then, or like her, <laughs> me telling her, like I did a thing where my friends... One of the stories was about like, I had these friends in LA who thought I was a virgin in my mid twenties and they took me to Tijuana and I didn't know they were bringing me to a brothel. And then I cut, I cut back, to, it cuts to my mom at the end of the story and it's her going, 
Well, I don't need to hear about your visit in a whorehouse. And I don't like that you made me say the word whore. Like that was the show. And I, I, I was into it. And right. some executives from IFC came and saw it and they really were excited about it. And they organized a night where they brought back like the guy, like the head guy at the time, the dude who could give things a thumbs up or thumbs down, organized it, especially for them. Like uh, Anthony King gave me a slot just for that, right? And I'm trying to yeah. pack it out. And uh, I go out and I do the show and it went well. They didn't pick up the show. They didn't pick it up. That's okay. But at, so at the end of the show, I go, you know, I want to thank the tech in the booth. I want to thank UCB for having me. And of course I have to thank my mom. And from the seats, I just hear, you're welcome. And I was like, what? Oh my God. And my oh mom my goes, God. I'm here. And I go, mom, are you here? And the whole crowd is like, oh. And I'm like, this is not a stunt, guys. Like I legitimate. I said, can you turn the lights up? It's not just my mom. It's my mom, my dad, my aunt oh Karen my and uncle Bob. Oh my, my aunt God. Rose and Uncle Wayne, and, <laughs> oh and my dad's best friend Sam Vitrano and his wife Rosemary Vitrano. Oh They're my all God! There. All of and New that, Jersey. That, yeah, and that everyone night, you've ever known. Oh my God! Everyone who helped raise me, legitimately, you can say most <laughs> oh of the people God. who helped raise me were there. And yeah. I had told a story that night about a time where I thought I had herpes. Oh like God. pretty graphic details about the sexual experience that got me there. Very graphic details about visiting a free sex oh clinic God. in Corona, Queens, where they put a Q-tip up the shaft of my dick. Like I went oh, into yeah. it and then the lights come yeah. up and I'm making contact with Aunt Karen. Ah. Good God, that's a nightmare. Aunt Karen is. But mad props to your mom changed. though, because she's, she totally like clinched the whole show by the she like did. surprise I bomb know. at the yeah. end. And those bastards yeah. at IFC oh. still weren't sold. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what? His whole family comes along? We yeah. can't afford this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Are they all SAG? Do we have to pay SAG rights for yeah. his Uncle Wayne? <laughs> Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. My wife and I just watched Class Action Park. No, and you are I so, love, I love so, that. I didn't know that you were. Uh, I didn't either. Gonna appear in it. I didn't know that you'd be so prominent in it. If people Nor don't know, I. it's an incredible documentary about a water park in New Jersey in the '80s that just, like, I wanted to go there so badly after seeing yeah. it, but then I was like, oh, I'm glad I never went there as a kid. I definitely would have broken my leg or <laughs> yes. died. It was yeah. so fantastic, especially knowing and being like, oh, someone I know, I directly relate to this person's <laughs> experience of going to this fucking insane park. Yes. It was it was wild. It was really wild. And those filmmakers, they just knew like I had I had written an article for a magazine years ago about Action yeah. Park and talked about it on stage a couple of times and they, they'd heard that. So they reached out. I had no idea I was going to be like, I felt I was watching it. I was like, Oh, I'm like a pretty major part oh, of this. Yes. Yeah. I thought I was going to have like two lines in it. I'll tell you, like everyone in New Jersey watched it I'm sure, to the yeah. point where I was walking. 
my new neighborhood, it's like, I live in a suburban neighborhood. And then once you leave this neighborhood, it starts to become like farms. Like we're right on the edge of the country. Yeah. And I went on a walk one day, clearing my head and a Porsche drove by <laughs> and stopped and backed up. And then this guy was like, class action park, dude. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, just leave, what the fuck? Get out of here, man, Porsche man. Why don't you leave me alone, Porsche man? Get in, not bud. Know. <laughs> all right. Class action yeah. park, get buddy. In. Yeah. I was like, all right, man. But yeah, that park was, I'm glad that doesn't exist anymore for what? my son. Actually, truly that, yeah. That's what I wanted to ask about because when we were watching it, my wife and I, she goes, what if our daughter, what if Elliot was like, I, I'm going to go with my friends to... The park, because I feel like I'm a little bit of a, you know, helicopter parent a little bit. And I, <laughs> I told my wife, I was like, I, I I don't know because I get it. I get the need to let the bird fucking just go. F- Either you can fly or you can't. But I was like, I don't know. Because even watching a documentary about how dangerous it was excited me to see if I could survive <laughs> the <Yeah>. danger. <laughs> But I was like, I don't know. She has yeah. my DNA. She's gonna have that same feeling. You're what? You're. I mean, you went and did it. You're. What if your kids like, Dad? I'm. I'm heading out to the park. Yeah. You're like, ah, shit. Well, he's already a daredevil too. And and my wife is like, my wife is a professional aerialist. Like she. Oh, wait, what does that mean? The, so did you, have you, did you just make this, up an occupation <laughs> on this podcast? No, Chris? it's it's a real thing. It's. Uh, do, have you ever heard of the shows De La Guarda and Fuerza Bruta? Yeah, I've been to that. You're like, yeah. Yeah, my wife was in those. Oh, cool. So like she was? These sort of like, yeah, it's, like experimental theater slash dance shows where people are on harnesses swinging around in the sky yeah. and running up the walls and- Oh my God. Really wild stuff. So she's fearless and That's my so son cool. takes after her. It's really cute, but terrifying. He'll climb up on the coffee table and my wife will go over and she'll go one, two, three, and he'll jump. <laughs> So she's For like, some I reason, thought you were going to be, she was like, one, two, three, get the fuck off the table. Yeah, yeah. That's one, two, no, three, fly! She'll catch yeah. him. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like, no exaggeration. And then the, the cute slash scary part is, for some reason, one, two, three, he doesn't get that, but he's latched onto two. He understands that two is a thing. So I've now learned that, like, if he climbs up on our kitchen table and just shouts the word two... <laughs> That means he's about to leap. Oh, oh my god! god. He, is, he skips one. He didn't give a fuck. Yeah, two. No, he went right to two and shortchanged me on three. So I'll just get up. He's eighteen months old. He's he just like knows a handful of words. Oh, get up there, god. two, and I'm like, oh god, god, oh god, oh god, and I know I have to run over and catch him before he eats it. Yeah, like, eats <laughs> it. Or do you let him eat it and be like, now you know, now you know, bud? I mean, he eats it pretty often and he doesn't and cry nothing. and it's scary. Other <laughs> other parents in the neighborhood have pointed out they're like, we've never heard your kid cry. And I'm, I once watched him fall off a rock and hit his head on another rock and then get up and walk away. I, like he's, is, I don't, these kids, he does not these take kids go me. to ask him for <laughs> yeah. money. That's going to be a fun thing oh. to witness. Yeah. He's kind of like a little rugby It's player. kind of ironic because what you're describing is like a lot of toughness. <laughs> and so, like, yeah. if you guys, <laughs> I might not have to teach him a thing about it. He's going to yeah. be teaching you, like, Dad. Uh, like, come, come on, on Dad. Why are you one, using two, the ladder leap. to get down from the roof? You jump. Yeah. <laughs> he really does take after his mom on that. Dude, she is in very good shape from doing these shows, and all her friends are these like 
chiseled cut gymnasts and dancers and every she's got a bunch of ex-boyfriends who are like Argentinian dudes they just ride they just ride on horses with their arms fully stretched out standing one leg Uh the reality is better than that her ex-boyfriend he's an Argentinian guy who uh he's a rock climber but when he lived in Argentina, he was a fucking burglar. He was a cat burglar. And you, And that's something you put on a resume? I, th- right. I thought you just would never tell anyone that. <laughs> I, she knew. I, maybe she. Di- maybe he divulged his secrets to her. But like he used to like legitimately repel up the sides of buildings in Buenos Aires and steal things. He sounds like the coolest person ever. Yeah, he's like in Dude, Ocean's he sounded 11. cool just when you said Argentinian. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, he's yeah. hot. Uh-huh. He is yeah. hot. And then, Andy steals I'm stuff? I'm sitting here like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a thief. He's an Argentinian thief. Yeah. What's hotter than that? I'm up here cleaning yeah. gutters. Leaves. Also, if your wife China is leaves. an aerialist, why is she not cleaning the gutters? That's her like space up there. Great uh-huh. question. We're going to yeah. talk with her about that. That sounded weirdly threatening. Wait, Chris, I wanted to ask you, uh, just, I know we're going to wrap up, but having a tough dad and then your experience, and now is he like that as a grandfather? And do you guys ever clash when like he's trying to help you parent your, like parent your son at a family gathering or something? Do you guys clash on that? It is wild. One of the first times he came over after Cal was born, I was in the other room with my mom. My son was in his swing and I came out. My dad was on his hands and knees on the floor in front of the swing, just making baby noises. (laughs) And I swear the first time I saw it, I turned back to my mom. I said, where has this man been my whole life? Who is this man? (laughs) And this is very cliche. He's a grandpa now. He loves it. It brings out his sweetest side. I love that. I I did have to take a deep breath and go, you know, some real feelings of like, where was this guy sometimes? Yeah. And, but he was a great dad. He was the best. Don't get me wrong. And I remember once we were, a couple months ago, my parents were over and we were joking and, and uh, telling, there's just a truly insane thing that my dad once said to a bully in our neighborhood. And my dad was like, I never did that. I don't remember it. And my mom just looks at him and goes, you know, there's a lot of stuff you don't remember because you don't want to remember yeah. it. And I was like, yeah, that's the way to put it. But I love it. I love it now. Like, that might be the way to be. When, uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty great. And whenever my phone rings on FaceTime and makes the like FaceTime yeah. beeps, yeah. my son starts yelling, pa. He starts going, pa, 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 because he knows it's going to be his pa. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so great. I love it. And I don't have bitterness. And it's really cute to see him behave that yeah. way. Yeah. And, uh, and and hopefully I can kind of split the difference, right? right? Not not have to be as tough as he had to be, and kind of land in the middle of of who he is, of my dad and Cal's pa. Yeah, yeah. yeah if I could exactly. split the difference, that would be nice. Well, uh. I bet not only do you split the difference, I bet you do a fantastic, amazing job. You seem like you would be a fun dad, whether you're on the roof doing gutters or not. Yep. <laughs> Seems like you'd be a dad. I th- I think any dad who who listens and just kind of gets it and knows how to communicate, which is, you know, you've built a career on that, uh, I would say it's probably going to be a great day. Oh. So thanks for uh, for being on the, the show today, man. What a good time. Thank you both for <laughs> having me. Thank you so much. Thank you both for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Chris Gethard right there. Uh, lovely man. And what a beautiful beautiful story about his dad and him at the the restaurant yeah. opening up that was absolutely fantastic 
For you listeners out there, if you enjoyed Chris, and even if you didn't enjoy him, give him another chance. You know what I mean? Go try to keep up with him. Visit his website at chrisgeth.com. His podcast, Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. He truly talks to anonymous people Mm -hmm. on the phone and records it. And the only rule is that he cannot hang up first. And that excites the shit out of me. It's incredible. I love that. I love that so much. That's so, so good. And uh, you've definitely got to check out Chris's internet comedy show on Twitch. He launched it during the pandemic and it's called Planet Scum Live, which sounds awesome. I love that title. And folks, before we go, we just wanted to say that this episode concludes season one of Dads. Ruthie and I are going to be taking a break for a few months, and we're going to be doing some some plotting into the new year. But we'll be back with some bonus content to tide you guys over for for a short period of time. Uh, But for now, we just want to say a special thanks to every amazing guest that we had this season and to you, all of the listeners out there. It has been a blast hearing these stories and uh, we're so glad that you guys are here for it. Yeah, 100%. We're so grateful to all of you who've been listening and who make up this community of dads and non-dads. I never knew... I wanted to be a non-dad so badly. Uh, we laughed, we cried. I think we even learned something about ourselves, maybe? No. No? no? Did we, we did. Yeah. You're right. Okay. We did. And uh, also a sincere thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, it's been rad. Ruthie and I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. We wish you all the good things in the new year. Yeah, that's right. Peace out, 2020. And hello, 2021. And that's a wrap for season one of Dads. Dads, the podcast is produced by Jen Samples, Nick Liao, and me, Ruthie Wyatt. Our executive producers are Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Engineering by Will Becton and Anya Jeshik. Our theme song is by Strange Hotels with additional music by John Danik. And special thanks to Sean Doherty. And as always, you guys can keep up with all things Dads, the podcast on Instagram. Follow at Team Coco Podcast, and you'll be the first to know when we're back give us a review on apple podcasts or you know what tell a friend or even better do both of those things thank you guys so much and happy new year to all you dad heads this has been a team coco production love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.